Hello there. Hello there and welcome to Spark of Rebellion. This is, of course, your weekly Star Wars podcast. My name's Gary. I am one of your hosts. I'm one of the hosts. There are two of us that run the show, run the shed with all the Star Wars stuff in it. And I'm going to bring you on in a bit. But before I do that, um, just want to make sure that you're having a cool Star Warsy week and that everything is rocking and rolling. I hope you're enjoying Andor, that you've rocked out the first four episodes that have dropped over on the old Disney Plus. It's all good. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, episode 172, then tuck tuck, wherever you've been, you know, we rounded out all of the cool stuff from episodes one to three, so go and check that out. And this week, and for the next probably, what is it, seven, eight weeks that Andor is left, we're going to be talking about Andor specifically and giving you our thoughts and review on the episodes as they drop every single week. If you're new here, then welcome to SOR. If you're a newbie, then it's all good to have you. If you're a long-time listener, then welcome back. It's great to have you here listening to us, two British guys basically just talking nonsense about Star Wars, as we normally do. So my name's Gary, as I said, and my co-host. It's the other dude. It's the other one. It's the... He's the humour. He's the laughs when it suits him. Yeah? When he's not in mood. He's all good. Let's see what he's like today. Mr. Mark, how you doing, dude? Depends on the old banter, doesn't it? You know, there's uh, no straight man, no dead weight. This is very uh, true. It does depend. Yeah, mm, it does depend. But I'm all right, man. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Steady, steady. Just uh, catching up on on some of the old Andorian Easter eggs, which look quite interesting. Um, which I'm, I'm excited to get into. We'll see on that. We'll see. We'll see whether they are Easter eggs or. Uh, or not, we shall see. But what about you? <laughs> quiet Star Wars week, apart from Andor, done much? Yeah, it's been fairly quiet, buddy. Yeah, just uh, watched Andor episode four a couple of times and and uh, tried to retain some 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 memory on what happened and what was spoken in that episode because it, we'll get on to it, of course. But mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of an, an interesting one this week, which we'll get into. But I've not done anything else. I've not read any Star Wars and reading other things at the minute, which is good because a, a large portion of my time is every year is reading Star Wars stuff. So it's nice to, um, to read some other literature and play some other video games and stuff that's not Star Wars. Although I do miss it. I'll be back onto that stuff pretty soon. But yeah, fairly quiet, man. Same for you, I assume. And Dorian, by the way. Yeah, like pretty much. I, uh, yeah, I finished that old uh, Shadows of the Sith book. Got that oh, done cool. since last time. And then watched Rise of Skywalker again this weekend. Um, it just why'd annoyed me more. I was going to say, why'd you, why'd you do that to yourself? Well, <laughs> I did it because the, um, the Shadows of the Sith book is clearly like a play to just make Rise of Skywalker make more sense. And it, and it, it sort of, uh, like it's annoying because I've said this before. It's all right when the prequels do it in our heads because we're quite, you know, the prequels are all right now. You know, they've done the time. And they've, you know, they've done it with Brotherhood. They've done it with so many other novels, Master and Apprentice, you know, all of them, all of them. Um, sort of fill in the gaps and make the films better. And it feels all right when they do that because at least the, there was a bit of a story. Um, so I think I've said it to you before, but like when I read this book and I was even going through the end of it, I was like, yeah, I get what they're doing. You know, they're trying to fill the gaps in. 
and I was I was trying to justify and rationalize in my head why I'm still pissed with the rise of Skywalker. So I watched it again. And it did make me realize that it's just because there was clearly no plan out of that sequel trilogy. That's and 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 so like even though say if they'd done the book and it had, it had been like a prequel era book and it was filling the gaps in, I'd have been all right with it because at least the prequels had a cohesive story that was clearly planned. Whereas the sequels, like there's nothing wrong with a book at all. It's a good book. But because they've done it to kind of fill the gap, not that it enhances an already cohesive story, more that it's there just to prove that there could be a story threaded if you really made it work. It's just annoying. So then, like I said, I watched Rise of Skywalker. What's interesting is the first half of it, if you've read the book, is actually a lot, lot better. Like a lot better. Because it, they've clearly looked at it, seen the film, thought, what were the bits that people were like, well, this is new. Why the hell have they done this? This seems stupid. And just written a book that ticks all the boxes. Literally. Like, oh, Master Skywalker tried to find Axagol. Put that in the book. <laughs> you know? What's this dagger? That was stupid. Why the hell is there a dagger? Put that in the book. So it's sort of all right for that. Like if, but only if you've read the book, which is where I think the prequels are and, and the originals are a bit different. You didn't need to. It's still all right. Mm. The second half of Skywalker is still shit. Shocking. Still shit. Yeah. Shockingly bad. Mm. Shocking. Although I will say this, which I've not said, maybe not said, maybe we said it right at the beginning. There are some spectacular visual things in it. I will say that. That entire oh, yeah. Death Star fight sequence is yeah. brilliant. Indeedy. Yeah. I think that's the big difference between George's stuff and the sequel stuff, you know, because a lot of people slated George. Not so much the mm. original trilogy, but definitely the prequels. A lot of people slated him, but if you think about it, he was the dude that was holding it all together because he had everything in his big, creative, intelligent brain, you know, mm -hmm. that he just put together this big... Of course, there's a big cohesive story, the, the the whole nine episodes, but certainly those first three and then the prequels, they were all so tightly um, stitched together narratively and creatively. It's, you, you can't really argue with that. Mm. Whereas with the sequels, you get the feeling like, I don't know, Kathleen just wasn't strong enough to to steer the ship in the right direction. It just, you had JJ doing his thing and then he passed the baton over to... So what's his face? And you just felt like there wasn't enough overlap conversations happening. It's like Ryan Johnson's like, oh, thanks for that, dude. But I want to do my own thing over here for a bit. And then you have two like just off the cuff wing, you know, you know, mm. you know what I'm trying to say? You have two films that are just very disjointed in a, in a way. And then you have the third one that's like, well, we have to do something with these two. <laughs> We've got to bring them together somehow. Just put everything in there, I guess. <laughs> Just yeah. throw it all at the wall. See what sticks. <laughs> it was weird for that, wasn't it? Because it was like, surely the first thing you do is map out like the story. Out. Okay, we've got these big three original trilogy players coming back. What is each one of them's arc? Like Luke's is, did all this Jedi stuff, realized it looked like it was going the same way, going to go a bit tits up, got a bit disenchanted, then realized that he was actually wrong. And they could do something different about it. Like, super simple. Like, that's just it. You know? Just write that down. And then when you do the scripts and you write the stories and you do the the, the, the original treatments from them, just check. 
check. Does it work? Does it fit that? Does it fit that? Same with Han. And, and, and you know, granted, Leia is a different one because of what happened, sadly, with Carrie Fisher. But, um, <clears throat> you know, even then it was sort of a... Um, it, it was... There just didn't seem to be an arc, you know? It was the redemption of Ben Solo, fair enough. But how does that... Why does that matter? Who gives mm. a crap whether he's redeemed mm -hmm. or not? You know, no one knows him. You know, and I know we had that with Vader back in the day, but the point with Vader was it was just big bad guy, middle film. The good guy is the kid of the bad guy. And the only people that ever got involved in that relationship were Luke and Vader. So in Return of the Jedi, which is, you know, as we all know, it's the weaker one of the, the three. Not that it's a bad film, but it's, you know, the others are just good. There were still only those two involved. Just a naive kid who nearly got killed by his dad's boss. And his dad was like, you can't do that. So it was just simple. It was simple in its execution. And they just, I don't know, man. I know we're yeah. going on about this, but there was just no, it just didn't, there was nothing that went over the top. And now they're trying to bolt these things in. They're just trying to bolt these little tails in that, that justify, oh no, this dagger's definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a thing. Um, so yeah, don't know. We're going about that forever because it's such a missed chance, dude. Yeah, I think that's the most frustrating thing about it. It's it's one of the biggest missed of it. That that sequel trilogy could have been like if you think about. Uh, let's not go into it. Let's not do it anyway. We're on to Andor this week, <laughs> of course. Episode four. Quick recap for y'all. So it picks up immediately after episode three, and we see we see Cassian aboard the ship with um rail and he's giving him his pitch again he's like cassian's like look i just want to get the out of here you know i'm I'm done you know and rail can see right through him he's like look, i can see you hate the empire here are the reasons why i do as well or some of them um, what would you rather do just kind of you know disappear again chip away at them and just not really achieve anything or would you rather come with me i've got this good proposition and we can really stick it to them you know we can really make some make a dent in the empire and stuff like that. So anyway, that goes on and he convinces him and, and he meets up with this other band of what looks to be like the very early, very, very early band of rebels that would one day in the near future in this timeline, go on to form the actual rebellion underneath people like Mon Mothma and, and all that stuff. So he links up with them. They can't stand it. Everyone's really jittery and nervous. You know, they've got this big plan that they've been working on for months. They're going to hit this, um, this garrison, they're going to take it out and they're also going to cripple some of the, some of the cash flow. You know, they're going to steal a bunch of money because at this point the rebellion is still, it's, you know, it's never been like flush anyway, but it's at this point where in order for them to start making dents into the empire, they've, they need funding. It's simple as that. And they haven't really got that. So they're going after some of the, the money that's flowing through the empire to pay everybody and stuff like that. It all sounds very real worldy. It's kind of, it's got a link into sort of real real world sort of politics and stuff like that. And then on the other side of it, you've got um, uh, Rao that goes back to Coruscant and he meets up with Mon Mothma. They've got this, again, you can see the very early um, uh, 
throes of the rebellion to kick into form. So they, those guys are talking about things and it all links back to money again. You know, they're trying to get funding. They've been doing this kind of backhanded transfer of money here and there to sort of get things going. But it's getting to the point now where Mon Moth is like, look, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to get found out. You know, we need to, to do other things. And then they, you know, they agree to disagree on certain things. And on the other side of things, it just wraps up that little storyline for now anyway, that we had with, um, uh, with Cyril Khan in the previous episodes where he went off to try and find Cassian and that blew up in his face. They've all been fired by the look of it. The Empire's having none of that. So they've got rid of this Imperial Police or, you know, wherever it was. And they're now taking jurisdiction over that planet and some other bits and pieces. And then we have some insight into those characters that are working for the Imperial Security Division. Something like that. Bureau. Bureau, is it? There we go. That's the word. The Bureau. Yes. And uh, some of the power struggles and sort of backbiting and all that stuff that goes on. So, dude, the the episode as a whole, still no big pew, pew, pews, no big action sequences yet, nothing like that going on. But it, I feel like it's, I'll give you my thoughts on this in a minute, but it's like continuing the groundwork for a little while, should we say. So off the bat then, dude, what are your thoughts and a quick score on episode four? Do you know what? I thought it was great. I was like hooked to it. Um, it was one of those where I, I think I paused it like 20 minutes in and I looked at the, the, the Disney Plus counter, which never seems to work. And it was like, oh, there's 20 odd minutes left. And I thought, this is brilliant. There's more time. This is exciting. I'm stoked for this. And um, and then when it ended, you know, de- directed by such and such, I was like, it was, it was almost like, you know, when you wake up and you... You, you were that deep asleep. You're like, oh shit, I'm awake. It was like that because it was just, oh, that's the ending. Um, because it was, I was really immersed by it, man. I thought it was great. I think the dialogue's great. I think some of the actors are a bit wooden. Like they've clearly just gone to Britain and got all the like Channel 4 and BBC One <laughs> actors. Like the guy that's from the ISB that's like, you know, he's a bit wooden, you know? He's a bit like, do not try and jump the corporate ladder because you should not do that. And you're just talking about the dudes that done a lot of work with Ricky. Yeah. 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 That's him. I knew I recognized the guy. It was, uh, is it, uh, what's his name? DJ, isn't it? DJ something. Yeah. Doc Brown. Yes. (laughs) Doc Brown. It is Mm -hmm. Doc Brown. Um, it was terrible. It was terrible, but the episode overall, man, yeah, I thought it was great. There was a heck of a lot to it. Um, mm. It was, it was, it benefits so much from the dialogue being good. And just going back to Coruscant was just like a, a breath of fresh air and seeing Mon Mothma just under that much pressure. And, you know, you, you can imagine what it must be like being a, you know, in espionage and being a very public senator that people suspect and, you know, we've seen this in other media, in other in other properties, other IP, and we've never really seen the net titan like that in Star Wars, and people feel like that in Star Wars. Um, so I thought all of that was great. The ISB are bastards in every other bit of literature or media that they're in. You know, they're in Rebels, dickheads. In all the media, nasty, nasty, nasty. Um, so just really nice to see that in real life, like these guys are dickheads. You know, now we're in charge of your planet because you did this. Um so I was fascinated by it. I mean, there's a lot more to go into, but yeah, I was well on board for this, man. And I think it's benefiting from being 12 episodes. I think they've got the time to do this. Um, 
you know, I've seen a few people online, like Star Wars fans just complaining because they're awake. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. oh, the Disney's crap. Look at this. What? There's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. And then when stuff does happen in the other ones, they're like, we don't like what's happening. I shut up, you know? So it's, <laughs> I think it's great, man. I think it was really, really, really well done. I thought it was really well done. I've not been that gripped by Star Wars for a long time. Even Mandalorian's not gripped me. That's relied on um, uh, canon to get us going. Right. You know, mm. which is great. We need, we said it last week. We want that stuff over there. But this is fresh, man. Really, really liked it. Cool. Cool. Yeah, same, dude. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. There's loads of Star Wars fans that are like, oh, what's all this about? There's no, there's no lightsabers and magic. It's not Star Wars. What's going on? Yeah, but it's just, you know, run of the mill for that stuff. But I was also really engaged, buddy. I thought it was a really good... And I love that, honestly, that was one of the cool things about Rogue One was this alternate view of how, um, the, you know, the Death Star plans were were stolen and, you know, transport and stuff like that. And this is, it feels very much like it's just a fascinating insight how into how the rebellion got up on its feet, you know, and the people behind that and stuff and how certain players like Cassian got involved in this and, because you rarely see anything to do that, to do with that behind the scenes, other than oh, it was Leia that got the plans, and then Luke rescued her, and then they didn't, you know, they got the plans back anyway, and, and did all that. So this is a really cool, a really cool way to see like another another viewpoint into that timeline, which is very fascinating, and and I love that they've introduced these new characters as well. So um, so Luthan and you know, these little band of rebels and stuff. I think Mon Mothma's in there just to provide a little bit of, she was one of the key players and you can't really, you can't really do this stuff without her. So you, you need her in there anyway, but the other characters are fascinating, dude. And um, I also think one of the other, the other cool things is that sometimes politics in Star Wars can feel a little bit heavy at times. They don't, they don't really drift into that too much in the original trilogy, but certainly in the prequels, that was quite politically heavy. And in Andor, it feels like they're really pushing that hard as in, you know, we definitely need the politics. You can't, you can't tell this story narratively without it. But at the same time, it feels interesting because of the way, like you said, the way that it was written in the dialogue and stuff. So yeah, man, I think it was a really engaging. I'm, I'm slightly surprised that we've got another episode like this. I'm I'm slightly surprised because it feels like they've gone down the the old school timey wimey way of telling stories on TV. And what I mean by that is typically when anyone that's watched anything from I don't know 1995 onwards, you know, on network TV, what normally happens is you get the pilot which lands and you sort of set up your characters and what's happening and stuff like that and the motivation for whatever the characters are doing. Then you have a couple of episodes, and then you have another episode that drops, which is really similar to the pilot. So what that does is for people that have just jumped on board, but you're not quite far enough into the episode that you want to give them a little bit of a pseudo recap shorthand without having to dive into it all again. It kind of feels like that, but you don't really need to do it because it's a streaming thing. So everyone can just go and watch it anyway. So I found that a little bit, you know, why are they doing this now? I would have a little part of me was like, I want to see a little bit of action. I do want to see a little bit of that with Andor getting his hands dirty, but um, 
other than that, I'm fascinated by what's happening politically within the, you know, um, you know, all that stuff. So the dialogue then, dude, one thing I will say is that it's gripping as hell, man. It's like, I've never seen it, but I can just imagine there's loads of Star Wars fans that are saying things like, it's a cross between um, the West Wing and Blue Bloods or something like that. It's got that real kind of, you you buy into it. I certainly bought into it. I was like, shit, what is going on with the Imperial jurisdiction now? Because, you know, these dudes were doing an okay job before, before Khan screwed it up. Other than that, I think they were doing an all right job. So how's the Empire going to, how, what are they going to do? Because they're going to obviously do this with a much stronger, you know, more of an iron fist, but shit. So what's going to happen to him? His mum's not happy. Fuck. So, you know, so yeah, the dialogue's very cool. The guy you mentioned, I don't know what he's doing in there. No freaking idea because anyone that's seen him in anything else will know that he does not talk like that. That guy just sounds ridiculous trying to put on that typical um, bad guy British Empire accent. Doesn't work, dude. Doesn't no, work. No, I don't. You just, you know, biggity, 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 bong, innit? The Doc Brown. <laughs> That's all it is. Let me take you down to Star Wars Street. Exactly, you know I mean? dude. He just doesn't talk like that in anything nice. else he's been in or in real life. So it's I a bit know. much. It's it's a funny one because they're the things that pulled me out of the the episode. The mm. ISB was great, like just you know authoritarian dicks that are basically trying to sniff out any rebellion. Trying to th- their job is just it, it's basically to be like the you know they are basically running things like the Nazis were, you know, the, the, the underground secret police, but you know, not secret. They all know, and you do not want to get on their wrong side. Like that's the vibe that this has been, you know, we all know the empire has been built around that. And this is that version of the secret police. So the, um, the main officer guy and the lady that was after that star chart thing, star, whatever it's called, Fine, they were great. You know, Doc Brown was just out of it, and it was that that pulled. That was the one thing out of this episode that pulled me out of it. Because I was like, nah, it's just the, everything else. And now, if that had been in any other Star Wars, I'd have been fine. Doc Brown would have fit. He'd have got away with it. The problem with this episode for him is that everyone else is an actually legitimate, powerful actor. You mm-hmm. know, like even I mean, Andor didn't say much. He didn't say much. Diego Luna barely said anything because everyone else did the work and it was great. And that's fine. He played the mystery man. That's what he's there for in this episode. Um, even the kind of band of rebels were great. And then you've got, you know, I sort of saw the band of rebels as a bit of sort of Bravo two zero, a little bit sort of, you know, they've been out there on a limb. They've been doing the dirty work. No one really knows about these people, but they're the things that lead to the success, you know, a thousand cells like this doing this and Mon Mothma and Luthien are trying to bring all these together. They're coordinating it and, you know, there's there's all the Sorgeri strings and so on. But these two are really responsible for that rebellion along with Bail Organa and, and, and other people and this other person that Mon Mothma's trying to recruit, which may or may not be someone we know, we just don't know. Um, so when you put when you put those people together on screen, especially, especially Stellan Skarsgård, like he... 
just wiped the floor with everyone. You know, he was on screen and he was he was he was good, man. He's got the gravitas, he's got the the presence, he's got the charisma. Put him with Genevieve O'Reilly, who's who's playing this under pressure. You know, let's we've got everything's got to be in secret, but publicly in secret. Because if I do stuff in secret, they'll know I'm doing stuff in secret. So we've got to be public about it and somehow try and do it in secret. Like, that's fucking pressure, man. And the, you could see them; they were trying to write that and they were trying to deliver that, and it was really well done. Um, even down to like the store clerk um, noting that she got a new driver and pulling the driver away to talk about those tablets or whatever, all those coins. Um, and just every, like you said, the dialogue was just very well done. You know, they clearly hit in this plant, this Imperial garrison to steal the payroll because Mon Mothma is finding it hard to get money that she's had been able to get in order to fund the rebellion. And they need ships, they need food, there's people on the ground. Um, like that's what happens. That is what happens in a in a in a coup in a rebellion. It's and like we said last time, Star Wars has just made rebellion cute. Oh, it's cute. It's a logo, and it's you know, it's it's lovely. You know, we're all these sort of spunky people, and there's no real consequences to it because we always get out of it because it's it's animation. We're fine. We're good. And this is not. This is different. This is like rebellion against these dictators, these fascists. So, and they've written the dialogue. I think from my perspective to, um to really lend credibility to that and to get someone like Stellan Skarsgård who can switch, like when he told that woman on the on the planet, that kind of leader of that little cell, you know, basically shut up and listen, you've got to deliver. Uh, you know, mm. that's a, that's turning on a dime. That was like a light switch. And not everyone can do that. So they're, they're such strong choices that even good dialogue in the hands of someone that's just not them is not, it stands out, you know? Mm. Um yeah. But it was very well done overall. I, I, I like, what I liked about the ISB was we've seen them across the board in such a, a range of things now and they've been in the books and all sorts and they are, they, you know, they are, they are nasty. Um, but they also, the way that that was structured, that meeting room, it was almost like sort of the middle managers. You know, it was, it was reflective of the initial scene on the Death Star in A New Hope, big circular table, leader of the ISB. The Senate's now gone. It, that's all the moths around the table. Actually, these guys stop shit getting to the moths and to the governors. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was the same. So you can see this hierarchy of power and the way that like the Empire just does work like the Empire. And I, I also liked how they'd written it where you could see their fallacies. Like we only, forget your hunches, we only act on verified evidence. And that's how people like the rebellion can win, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. I just thought it was, there was, there was a lot of layers to the dialogue that you wouldn't notice unless you really stopped to think about what you were watching, if that does make any sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's a good point as well around how they acted on things, because I'm not saying that the other end of the other, the other end of that is the force. I mean, it is to a degree, but that's why, yeah, that's why the rebellion does what it, well, has been successful for the most part in what it does, because it doesn't, the only thing it's, it's only got one objective, right? And that is to take down the empire. That's it. Whereas the empire has got a thousand objectives all layered. And like you say, it's, um, cause, because this was quite a political driven episode, it does open the door a little bit to, so you can see the, the motivation for the empire doing what it does, because, with the rebellion, like I said, you have like a few key players, but their overall thing is like, whether it's the emperor or Vader or whoever it is, we need to take him down. 
with the empire, they're like, okay, what's going on with the trade routes? What's going on with the outer rim? What's going on with Coruscant? What's going on with, you know, all that stuff. So this was like a little um, sort of first opening of the door to look inside what they're thinking in terms of what's going on throughout the galaxy. Mm. And you can tell at the minute that they're not really bothered about, about small fry. They're kind of just looking at, is anybody causing big trouble on one of our systems? If so, let's get this sorted out. You know, that that's the kind of thing. And I think maybe that's why um, the, what was her name? Deirdre, I think, played by Denise Goff, one of the, uh, she was like, well, this thing's happening over here and I can't really prove anything, but as a hunch, uh, you know, and that's just like a big no-no. Like you were saying, that's like a big, you know, we don't look at stuff like that. So I'm, I'm wondering, there were two characters actually that I was really, I am really interested in how they progress and that is her. How does she, how does she power manage her way through all these blockers? Because she's got these other dudes that are like, yeah, just piss off and just do as you're told basically. And then the other person is um, the guy that's been fired. So Cyril Khan, what's, we're not seeing the last of him clearly. So he's like the disgraced um, uh, sort of son that's come home to, you know, and all the neighbors are like, Oh, it's him. You know, it's the, <laughs> it's the one that got fired, you know, all that. So those two characters, especially I'm interested in how they're going to, how they're going to progress. One question I wanted to ask you, are you impressed then with Skarsgård with his character on screen? Because last week when we spoke about him a little bit in his involvement in the, in I think episode three mainly was that sometimes it's very difficult to see past people like Carl Weathers in anything other than Apollo Creed. And, you know, he's just Carl Weathers. And we mentioned a similar thing with Skarsgård. Are you able to see past him now then? Are you, are you bought into his character? Cause like you said, man, he was fucking good. Yeah, I am bought into his character, but I wouldn't buy a figure because it just looks like him. That's the sort of always the demarcation <laughs> that I'm at. Like I never buy a, a you know I never buy a grief carga character because I'd just be like it's Apollo Creed I'd rather buy an Apollo Creed one. <laughs> um, or the or, you know or, or the chappy plays in in Predator. You know what I mean? So it's <clears throat> for me it's that's the distinction that I always make. Like you know yeah. He's, he's, he's an actor and he's playing a part, but I wouldn't. I just wouldn't buy the figure with his face on it. I think because he's the actor, not the character. Right. For me, in that, in that, in that, you know, physical form. Uh, but yeah, man, he's 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 been great, and I'm I'm fascinated by his character. Of course, I think he he works so closely alongside Mon Mothma, and we've never heard of him. You know, I think he's he's clearly you know right down to doing the disguising and 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 being a, what seems to be a fairly prominent player on Coruscant. You know, we've seen in the TV spots, he's got things like Plo Koon's armor or Plo Koon's mask. He's got a lot of uh, what appear to be a lot of Easter eggy stuff on his shells. You know, there's there's talk of the Starkiller armor in there. There's talk of a, a couple of holocrons, Jedi and Sith holocrons. Um, some tablets with a world between worlds in there. There's like, to get that stuff, you've got to be prominent. You've got to have some money. You've got to have some influence. You've got to have some pull. You've got to have some connections. Um, as a character. And I thought that was interesting from the perspective of the chose to disguise, the chose to put him into a disguise, but the, the disguise is the seemingly the part that everyone on Coruscant knows, not the rebellion bit. So what I mean by that is it's almost like Clark Kent going to work as Superman, you know, and, and, and being the pub, the very public facing version of him being the one that he 
he doesn't show to his most trusted people, if that makes any sense. You know, because he... He went off and did the rebellion stuff with Andor and, you know, Cassian doesn't know that's a rebellion from what we can tell. He went off to see the cell. He went off to do all this stuff without the wig on, without the makeup on, without any of this stuff. And you've got to assume that for eight hours a day when he's in this shop or when he's doing his thing on Coruscant, he's in the disguise. And I thought that was an interesting move because it would have been easier to do it the other way around. So I'm fascinated by that. Mm. Um, it's a bit like Batman, isn't it? Where- yeah. For years and years, everybody thought that Bruce Wayne was the the real dude and Batman mm. was the the mask. But in reality, it's the other way around, right? Yes, exactly yeah. that, man. Yeah, much better example. Yeah, and it, it, it's yeah, it's it, it is exactly that. In fact, I said that when he put all the gear on. I said to Sam, oh, "It's Bruce Wayne." So, what do you mean? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> what do you mean? That's all. <laughs> um, so, I, I am fascinated by him, but he's such a. He's. For a character like that to come in, have the gravity—not yeah, the gravitas—but also the we don't know yet. But I imagine the impact that he will have on the rebellion, and to not know anything else about him either before or after any other media that we've seen. It, it, in hindsight, it had to be someone like that that you could buy into quickly. You know, if it was someone that had less stature or gravitas, you'd just be like, "Yeah, I get it. This is what the character does." But I'm here for Mon Mothma, you know, and you're not with this. You've, he's pulled you in and you're like, what? This guy's strong. This guy's good. He's interesting. And I, yeah, it needed someone like that, I think, to be able to do that. So interesting mm. to see where that story goes, who he is, what he does. Um, you know, we know Mon Mothma's the leader. Is he one of the delegation of 2000? Doesn't seem to be a senator. Um, mm. You know, is he, is, he, is he just someone that's funded things? Is he someone that we don't know? So it's interesting. You know, what's his stake? This is 15 years, uh, 14 years into the Empire being the Empire. What happened to him? You know, I wonder if we'll see. But yeah, I like him. I think he's great. He's very cool. Yeah, I really like him. Still wouldn't buy a figure though. Well, (laughs) you wouldn't buy a figure because it's, of course, yeah. Um, But you kind of expected him to be good anyway. Rarely do you watch anything with him and you're like, oh, he was shit. He's normally pretty good. So that's good. The success... Of this cell against the garrison, pretty high, or are they going to fall apart? Because they do not look like they don't look like they're you know they're a, a cohesive team, so to speak. There seems to be a lot of the way it was written with those guys. Um, it was well written in a way that there's there's something that's scaring the shit out of them, and. They can't quite. They can't quite seem to put it behind them, and just it's easier said than done, I guess. But they can't quite seem to put this fear of something going wrong behind them. It's like they're not all in a hundred percent. It's like, yeah, we want to do this, and we understand the reasons why we're doing it, but we're probably going to screw this up, right? Well, no, no, we'll be fine. You know, if you just you know do what you need to do, and then when Cassian turns up and it throws a massive spanner in the works, that makes it even worse. They're like, well. I don't know, man. This is like really last minute. It's like we're going to attack these dudes in three days, and you know now we have to like rejig everything. So, what's your what's your thought on that? Because my initial thought was this is the opposite to all the other cells that we've seen, um, in, you know, books and rebels and everything like that. When rebels is a good example. Those guys are like they are up for it, all of them. Like you know they're a good team and stuff like that. And when you've seen like in the Empire Strikes Back. You know, the battle on Hoth. Nobody's running. 
nobody's doing anything. They're all together. You know, they know what they've got to do. These guys are like, if something goes down, I think at least three of them are off. <laughs> so what do you think to these guys? Yeah, big time. It's, it's, it smacks of like classic, uh, what's the word? Insurgency, you know? The, the, the living off the land for five months just to prep and be close and get into the environment and measure the routines and look at the timings. And, you know, we've got nine minutes between the TIE fighters doing this and, and getting to us. And here's, here's why we can escape because of the eye of this storm. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. They're clearly well-organized, but also clearly or seemingly not, not overly trained. Do you know what I mean? And it is, yeah, yeah. It, it's, I think you're right. I think if it all goes pear-shaped, they're, some of them would probably fret like that young kid would just probably lose his mind. Um, a couple of them would do, some of them wouldn't, some of them wouldn't seem to hold it down and be decent at what they did. And I think that's where Andor, um, that's where Cassian will probably, maybe it's intended to be written like that so that he will then rise to that leadership. Like I'll corral your asses up and I'll get us out of here. And of course I can pilot this ship and we've got to make that fucking eye of the storm to get out. So I, I think it's, Whilst it's an interesting story and I think it's motivated and I think it shows the, um, it's intended to show that the fact that a rebellion needs funding and whilst that's a little bit political and a little bit boring to some people, it requires smashing these garrisons to get a quarter's payroll so we can feed people that are doing this stuff. Yeah, it's intended to do that stuff. But I think it's also a bit of a MacGuffin, like a bit of a, because it's a 12 episode run, let's do two episodes or three episodes where we show that one he's good at getting into places and being a bit of a bugger lugs and he's a bit of a warmer and he does these little things against the empire in the first three episodes, the second three episodes, actually this guy is probably a leader and he's proven himself to Luthien. And so, yeah, he is rebel material. And then from there, it sort of progresses up. So I feel like I can't see us see much of that unit beyond this miniature story arc around the garrison. You know, even if they all mm -hmm. survive, I just don't think we'll see them. Um, I think they're there to serve Cassian's purpose of, of moving into rebellion proper and becoming this sort of more, um, not a leader, but certainly a cell leader or someone that, yeah. that, that can be trusted. So yeah, I, I don't think you're far wrong. I think you've, I think you've clocked them pretty much. I think it was, it was, it was fairly clear, but I think they, they were written quite nicely. They didn't have to, I don't think they had to be written like that. You know, it felt, they felt like they were a unit like rebels, you know, like, like, um, the unit in Rebels with uh, with Harris and Duller and so on, like they were a unit just operating on their own, and 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 you know two years in, um, or a year in, sort of started to get pulled into this bigger rebellion, and it just it felt like they were written more akin to that as opposed to just some throwaway characters that just happened to serve a purpose. So I, I, was, I was again all about the dialogue, I think, and for example, that whole speech that Skarsgård gave her didn't need to happen. It could have just been, you know, in essence, I'm your boss. Here's a new guy. You have got to do it. But he didn't. It, 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 they did something. That speech was more than that, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the difference between this show and a lot of the others for me. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the dialogue that's kind of nailed the the feel um, of everything because a lot of the characters, you can relate to them, certainly from... And there are, there are parallels to other Star Wars characters and stuff like that. You, you can do that. But unless they're delivering something that's got some 
weight to it and some substance. It's more just like that's what we, that's what the animation's for. In my, you know, it's, it's that kind of feel. So, um, which I guess is we'll probably see these guys for at least a couple of episodes. I think because this block of, I think they're doing what they do with some other TV shows like Stranger Things and stuff, where you have like two or three episodes that are kind of grouped together like with a, a director and a writer and then you do like another mix so this is the first one of that second block i, I guess you want to call it so we'll definitely see them for at least another episode or two i think, I think uh, the last thing i want to um yeah the last thing i want to mention um is in relation to cassian is did you did you see or pick up on some of the i mentioned parallels a second ago with han because it's almost like there were a couple of things that that Luthen mentioned said to him that I thought is that thrown in there purposely to make you feel like this is you know there are characters like this littered throughout the rebellion and stuff because he mentioned Cassian on wherever it was there was that that big battle that went down um Minban and he was like yeah I fought there and it was crap and I managed to escape and he's like no you didn't you know you were a chef or something and he just bolted you know when you could do and then you, he's ran into this band of rebels and then clearly something's going to go down and he's going to have some kind of leadership. But initially he just wanted to to jump ship and, you know, get the hell out of there. So, and that's a similar thing that we had with Han where he gets scooped up inadvertently into the rebellion. And then at first he doesn't want any part of it. He just wants to grab his cash and, and do the off, but then ultimately gets pulled back in and takes some kind of leadership to a degree. So did you get that? kind of parallel between Cassian and, and Pan. Yeah, I, I I think it's it was um it was it was sort of said when Rogue One came out, wasn't it? There's sort of a bit of a hand solo character flies around with a droid instead of a Wookiee and he's, he's his own guy and he doesn't like to work with people except for this droid and you know he's a bit not a wise cracker but he certainly has a you know he'll certainly tell you what he thinks. Um so yeah, and I, I liked the fact that they used Mimban for that because that was the battle in, in oh, that was a planet, the mud planet where Chewie and Han met in Solo. Um, and it was, it was, it was interesting, like you said, that uh, um, to see that the rebellion includes these, like you said, these types of people that are there because they have skills, because they don't fit into the Empire. They're not quite rebels, like they're not actively seeking to go on radar as being a rebel, but by virtue of simply not being Empire and doing their own thing, they sort of are. And so the rebellion, you know, Leia tries to recruit Han pretty much instantly with some clear, high quality passive aggression, you know, works a treat. And so it, it's, I, I think it's, I don't know if it's on purpose, but I think you're right in that it certainly feels like it's a commentary on the rebellion's made up of all sorts of different people. You know, it's made up of senators. It's made up of people like Luke Skywalker. It's made up of, of generals and princesses and people that just oppose the empire. But it's also made up of these people that are just doing the little things, but that have got these skills or have got the... Like when, when Skarsgård said it to that lady, he was like, look, he can blend in. He's a good liar. He's a good navigator. He's a good such and such. And you just got to think there are countless people like Han. And I, I, it's... Um, I don't know if it was on purpose, but I just, even if it wasn't on purpose, I find it difficult to believe that someone didn't read the script and think, hang on, we've sort of done that by accident. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, it probably got acknowledged fairly early on and it was fine that it was like that as a worst case. Um, 
And I, yeah, I quite liked it. And I think maybe that's why I'm sort of enjoying the fact. I was thinking about this when they were talking in the in the ship. Uh, Skarsgård and, and, and uh, Diego Luna, Castellando, was, they were talking. They said, look, you know, I'll give you 200,000 credits. Um, you can do this. Here's this job that I want you to do. And I thought to myself, I know this is, and we said it last week, I know this is Star Wars, but it doesn't need to be. Like in those three episodes to start with, the, the, the first three, had it not been Star Wars, they could have just done like five minutes of exposition and that would have been enough. Like bad people exist. These are not them. Here's what the bad people are doing. Here's what the good people are doing. Like that would have been enough and the show would have been just as good, you know? Um, and I think that's down to that strength of the fact that they are writing someone like Cassian to be that kind of character, the Han Solo character, but with so much more time to fill the gaps for him. So yeah, yeah, interesting, isn't it really? It is interesting, mm. uh, especially because this exists in the world of lightsabers. Um, you know, and Han Solo never needed to, never, he didn't need, a, he didn't need to live in that world, but he just did, you know? Good blaster at your side's all you need, kid, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and then just lastly for me, it looked really good as well, like the cinematography and all that stuff. On Cassian and uh, and they were walking up to meet the other the other dudes in the cell. Um, and this was the only bit that needed to be in there to make it feel Star Wars. But then the TIE fighters came screaming over. That was so good, that bit. And it looks gorgeous as well. Like whatever location scouts they've got working over there. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, very cool. Uh, score out of 10 to finish off then, dude. Oh. I think probably another eight and a half for me. Like I, I was, in my mind, I wanted to score it differently and I was just going through the rationalisation in my head then like, why would it be lower? And I couldn't think of anything. And then the only reason it's not higher is because I just think it might get better. And I think they've got other places that they can go while building on this. So I think, yeah, solid, solid eight and a half, man. You? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, cool. I'm going to give this an eight, Ooh. a solid eight. Yeah, just because, um, yeah, I'm only knocking off that half a point, dude, because of that thing I mentioned where it feels like we're kind of running over what we had in episode mm. one a little bit. But other than that, I thought it was a cracking episode, a real cracker. And it cracker. was good to, um, yeah, it was good to dive into the sort of behind the scenes stuff within the empire without having to see people like any moth or Vader mm. or anything like that. You know, there are plenty of really good, interesting characters other than uh biddly biddly bowl. So yeah. I do think we'll see some of those though. Do you think we're going to see <laughs> anyone we know? Yes. Yeah. Do you think, think Bale's going to turn up at some point? I do as well. I'd also wondered whether they'd do anything with any of the moths and the governors, you know, when they'd started that with Mon Mothma. You know, I don't want to go down the CGI route, but she would be tens of shit sat around with talking. Imagine that. <laughs> that would be, yeah. Well, I don't know. Would we need that? Maybe. Well, that's the thing. Would we need mm. it? I know that's the thing, isn't it? Would you? Would you need it? But um, I'd be surprised if, if Bale doesn't make an appearance. I would be very surprised. Mm. Same. Just, just because yeah. of his his his, his gravitas um do you think this mon mothma the person that mon mothma's trying to recruit at, to the highest inner circle level of the rebellion is going to be someone we know or do you think that'll be just a fresh character uh i'm hoping it's a fresh character yeah based on what we've seen so far just four episodes i'm 
hoping it and guessing it will be. It mm. doesn't feel like this show is going to run down the road of we need mm. a tentpole character, you know, littered throughout like like Manda or anything. So, yeah, I think it will be someone fresh. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I don't think it would be hard to find a character that would fit into that circumstance. Um, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, and Andor it- seems to have its own vibe as well. It's, and, it's, and I know that's an oversimplification, but it seems to have its own its own thing. And if you take some, if you just pluck somebody out who we've known and watched for ages, like as a you know, decent character, and you plop them in here, they would have to adapt their character. And so, by doing that, that then makes it kind of weird to see them in this in this mm. light. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Sounds very dad like. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes out of that one. Um, does make you wonder. I don't think they will do, but it does make you wonder just to wrap up whether because um, they've got a soaker to start pushing. Makes you wonder if we're, if there's any yeah. fulcrum stuff going to go on. Well, that's another thing, yeah, because there's a lot of in terms of when this takes place, the load of stuff is happening over there with rebels, right, as well, mm-hmm. and the whole fulc- fulcrum stuff. So, yeah, maybe we'll see a live action person from Rebels, maybe, maybe as, as maybe. well as Ahsoka, maybe. The, the Fulcrum stuff's interesting because she works more directly with Bail Organa. He gives her the job and then they clearly work together uh, right up until Alderaan gets blitzed. So you've, mm. it's it's interesting that because that's, you know, a real, if this is an espionage thriller, the person that gives the most information, the, and a, you know, arguably Fulcrum is one of the top agents. Don't know. Don't know. It's exciting times, yeah. I'm staying out of it. Staying out what of it. happens. Yeah, you come through that wall. One thing it is cool, though, and I know we're going to wrap up. Sorry, one thing it is cool is that it's good to enjoy the ride a little bit with Star Wars mm. because so much in the past when we've reviewed Mando and other things, it's always been like they should definitely do this. Mm-hmm. This show is lacking because it hasn't got this, or we should do that. I don't feel like that with Andor. It's like I'm just enjoying, you mm. know, soaking in all the all the stuff that we've spoken about. So, thumbs up, man. Yeah, like I wonder it. if that'll be the same for the old acolyte and this is the last point I promise but I think Andor benefits from just not having expectation like it was when it was announced we weren't bothered about it and then we saw the trailers and we're like holy shit this looks great um (laughs) we were like uh, probably not fussed about that one (laughs) yeah and maybe it's just because it's done the same thing that Star Wars did and even Superman and all that sort of stuff back in the day like it hasn't got anyone that you know Mm -hmm. apart from you know the Stellan Skarsgård, who is the Gene Hackman, you know, or the mm. the, the kind of the, the the Peter Cushing, you know, the kind of uh, Alec Guinness kind of vibe, you know, he's that kind of gravitas guy. Maybe maybe that's why there's just no expectation from it. We don't want it to tie to anything. We don't care whether it does. We don't need it to because we've not got a Mandalorian suit of armor in front of us that other people have got heritage with, or um, we've not got. You know, Boba Fett there. We've not, maybe that's just why. Maybe it's more enjoyable just because we're expecting nothing from it. We're just there to see what's going to happen every single day. And I wonder if, like, the Acolyte will benefit from that as well because we don't know anything. You know, it's it's looking like it will feature certain things, but maybe that'll benefit from it as well. Maybe it's the, the lack of weight associated with it that gives it space to be better. I don't know. I don't know. No, you're right. You're totally right. I'm, I'm pretty sure we mentioned that ages ago as well, before we yeah. started watching Mandalorian. I'm pretty sure because you said to me, you asked me, do you think we're going to see any tentpole characters pop up in the Mandalorian? And I think we ended up saying we probably will, but mm. it might collapse under its own weight by doing that. So 
you're probably right, dude. That's probably why this is enjoyable because it isn't. It's not pandering to larger characters or other things that are going on that we're familiar with. So, mm. yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stick a pin in it there, dude. For episode one seven three. Uh, it's been good to carry on talking about Andor. It's one of those shows where, I mean, it's like a double-edged sword. On one hand, I really want it to do a, some like they do on Netflix, where they just drop the lot, and I want to enjoy everything. But the other hand, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying spreading it out over a few weeks and mm. having something to look forward to. So that's been very cool. Thank you very much, buddy, as always, for uh, for jumping on the chat in Star Warsy. It's good talking the wars, obviously. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it is. It's nice to be able to dig into something and uh, break down every episode. I think if it was if it was batched and dropped like Daredevil was, you'd want to do you know you'd want to do the entire season. Um, so it's nice to speculate and to kind of have that you know what's going to happen, what's going to happen. It's part of the it's part of the fun, isn't it? But yeah, always good, man. Always uh, always enjoy doing this until the next episode. And just remember, anytime you're pissed off with Star Wars, you want to think yourself really lucky because it could be She-Hulk. And on that, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> Yes, um, I agree. Yes, it could be She-Hulk. I've only seen the first two eps, and I'm not sure if I want to watch the rest. So, Should be called Shite-Hulk. That's all I'll say. <laughs> if you're feeling pissed off about Star Wars, go and look at some Marvel stuff. There we go. God, haven't they dropped the ball recently? We don't have to talk recently, about that with man. new podcast, yeah. but... Phew, not good. Not good. So we're glad that Andor is, is, uh, is not burning the bacon at the minute. So, so that's all good. Thank you very much for listening to Spark of Relief. Another week. We'll be back for 174 next week to review episode five. In the meantime, make sure you're following or subscribing in your fave podcast app so you don't miss an episode when it lands every Saturday. Uh, you can also listen online if you want to. Head over to sparkorebellion.com. You can listen to all the episodes there for free. And we're on the socials too, Twitter and Instagram, sparkorebellion.com forward slash Twitter forward slash Instagram. We post bits about star wars and andor at the moment throughout the week so come and get involved and chat to us over there and if you like sor come and join our other patrons over on patreon just over to sparkerrebellion.com forward slash patreon you can jump on from one dollar upwards grab yourself some swag and get some other benefits there go and check us out and uh, to our current patrons we love you guys so thank you very much for your continued support and until next time take care of yourselves and may the force be with you always <laughs> <laughs>